for Pacifica Radio, November the 13th, 2022. I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all, welcome to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm the editorial director of Antiwar.com, and I'm the editor of the new book, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. You can find my full interview archive, more than 5,800 of them now, going back to 2003, at scotthorton.org, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Scott Horton Show. All right, introducing our friend Mohammed Sahimi. He's a professor of chemical engineering at USC, but he's also a brilliant analyst of all American and Iran affairs. And we publish very much of what he writes at antiwar.com, including on uh, Friday, his article was our spotlight there. Iranians' quest for a democratic state and the role of of outside forces. Welcome back to the show, Mohammed. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine. It's great talking to you, Scott. Great. Appreciate that. Uh, happy to talk to you again. And really, I'm so happy to have this great article that you wrote. It's called The Murder of Masa Amini, Iranian's Quest for a Democratic State and the Role of Outside Forces. So please, sir, can we start at the beginning with Masa Amini, who is she and what happened to her and the beginnings of the backlash? Masa was um, a 20, 22 years old uh, young woman from the province of uh, Kurdistan, the Kurdish part of Iran in Western Iran, who was visiting Tehran uh, with her brother uh, to see her friends and relatives. She was stopped by what uh, Western press called the morality police for supposedly not covering her head with a proper Islamic hijab. Then she was taken to a detention center. A few hours later, she was taken to hospital and three days uh, after her uh, arrest, uh, she passed away. The government claimed that uh, during her detention, she had collapsed and had a stroke and heart attack. And there was also a, a video that the government published. But eyewitnesses had said that uh, she was mistreated, and in fact, eyewitnesses that had been taken uh, to detention center with her uh, on the same day and same hour had, had said that uh, in the detention car, the car that she was taken to the detention center, uh, violence had, had been uh, used against her. Somebody else had also said that she had hit her head against the sidewalk as she was being arrested. Uh, regardless of why she died. But the fact of the matter is the Iranian government is responsible for her death because she passed away in detention. And therefore, the Iranian government uh, is responsible uh, uh, for that. But the brutal way that she died uh, angered uh, Iranians and basically provided the motivation for uh, tens of thousands of Iranians uh, to come out on, onto the streets and start protesting. And the protests have, of course, uh, not been just for, for her brutal death, but also the general conditions of, of the Iranian society. Uh, the hardliners have mismanagement uh, the economy. There is deep economic corruption, uh, whereby uh, a, a small fraction of the population has basically looted national resources 
there is also repression under the guise that uh, that that Iran is under threat by outside forces. And of course, uh, ever since the Iranian Revolution, uh, Iranian women have been uh, discriminated against, and there has always been a, a woman uh, movement within Iran to uh, remove this discrimination and, and make Iranian women uh, a full participant in the society, uh, opposing the hardliners' uh, effort to push back women into uh, into homes and make them just mothers and and, and you know raising children and, and that type of thing. So the death of Maso Amini actually provided just another uh, excuse for Iranian people uh, to protest. And the protests quickly spread throughout Iran. And um, there are certain differences between these demonstrations and what happened in 2018 and 2019 as well as uh, the Green Movement of 2009, because the Green Movement of 2009 that was in protest against uh, fraudulent elections was basically driven by middle class in large cities. Uh, the protests, the large protests in 2018 and 2019 were driven by poor people uh, that are uh, living uh, on the edge of large cities and uh, very, very bad economic condition. The present uh, protests are driven mostly by uh, young people, particularly university students and people who were born uh, over the past, let's say, 25 to 30 years. And these people, of course, have known nothing but uh, the democratic state that uh, hardliners have set up in Iran. And they don't know anything about uh, what, uh, how was Iran uh, before the revolution and so on. And because of the uh, type of uh, system of government that uh, the, the Islamists in Iran have imposed on Iranian people, demanding that they, you know, they live certain way and they behave certain way. That has, of course, in addition to the economic conditions, and uh, which is partly, of course, due to uh, American sanctions, there is also, you know, deep anger uh, among Iranian youth because of the restrictions and repressions that they have. So that's where we are. The demonstrations have uh, have got smaller, but they have uh, continued. Uh, one reason for the demonstrations uh, to uh, to reduce in size was because after the first few days, demonstrations turned um, violent because the security forces started uh, using violence against uh, demonstrators in order to control them. And also a very small fraction of, of the population uh, that was demonstrating uh, responded uh, violence with violence, uh, and therefore uh, things uh, casualties started to to go up. Uh, as of I think yesterday, uh, the number of people that are believed to have died is about 310 people, which is larger than 2019 uh, or uh, around the same number as uh, 2019, where. 321 people, according to Amnesty International, had lost their lives. So this, uh, this is where we are internally. Uh, uh, the, the regime is talking about discussing and, and negotiating and, and talking to the opposition, but it is not clear that that will actually take place. And if it does take place, where would it go with what goals and, and, and so on? There have also been a lot of demonstrations outside Iran by Iranians who live outside Iran in support of the Iranian people inside Iran. Um, but 
that that is also where uh, a lot of other things uh, have come in in order to intervene uh, in what's happening in Iran that uh, we discuss as we go along. All right. So it's anti-war radio. I'm talking with Mohammed Sahimi uh, with this piece, the Iranians' quest for a democratic state and the role of outside forces. Um, to what degree is this a natural result of people living under a theocratic, you know, pretended republic, but essentially a tyranny? And especially when you have a history, even, you know, very well-documented recent history, as you refer to here, of American support for dissident groups and ethnic minorities and even head-chopping maniacs like Jandala and groups like that in the past, PJAC, which is sort of the PKK of Iran and this kind of thing, light and raises the question of how much of this is just a CIA, Mossad, MEK op, and how much of this is legitimate and and uh, for the average civilian in Iran who'd like a change, it puts them in a very difficult position, right? Of course, and 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 one problem is that uh, the the regime in Tehran uh, has tried to disrupt the uh, internet and uh, social networks so that people in Iran don't get the full picture of of what's going on. But instead, what has happened is that uh, Saudi Arabia uh, has set up this uh, um, television based in London that broadcasts programs uh, 24 hours a day into Iran in uh, in Farsi. This television station is owned by a a Saudi group, uh, uh, which is widely believed to be connected to Mohammed bin Salman, and the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, and the Guardian had, had an extensive reporting on it. Um, the, the interesting thing about this television is that uh, it has a large staff, about 100 to 150 people. Uh, it is, the, the programs are very exquisite. They pay exuberant amount of money to the people who work for them, and with large salaries, and they also try to attract other people. And it's estimated that uh, it costs about $15 million a year just to run the television. And yet this television channel doesn't have any commercials. It doesn't have any income. So the whole thing is basically a propaganda uh, machine set up by Saudi Arabia in order to advance its agenda in Iran. And what has happened is that this television station, instead of trying to talk to people from all blocks of society, as you mentioned, or, or all layers of the society, the only thing they uh, talk to, or the only so-called experts that they talk to, are uh, separatists, for example, that are supported by Saudi Arabia or Israel, United States, or all of them, or people who call for violent overthrow of the of the government. You don't see anybody that they talk to, for example, advocates peaceful demonstrations, advocates civil disobedience, uh, advocates uh, a strike, and so on in order to push the hardware back and try to uh, uh, find a better way, a better direction for the society. So that's that's that has played a big role in what's going on. So they constantly broadcast things that may not have any basis in reality. They constantly say that sources in Tehran told us this or sources in Tehran told us that. But it's not clear who these sources are and what the basis of these rumors or, or, or false uh, reportings are, uh, but that for the population that uh, does not have complete access to internet uh, and social networks and websites and so on, 
where they can get accurate information. And at the same time, the national television and radio uh, network of the regime also constantly gives the false information and propaganda. So Iranian people have been basically trapped between these two. This is part of the outside intervention that I talked about in my piece. We have also have had uh, terrorist attacks in Iran. Um, there is this group uh, that is linked with Al-Qaeda. Uh, it's called Jaishul-Ad, which uh, operates in Iran province of Sistan and Baluchistan uh, and has escaped some terrorist attacks. Uh, ISIS, Islamic State, carried out a terrorist attack in southern city of uh, Shiraz. Uh, and interestingly and curiously, the United States State Department uh, didn't condemn the attack, uh, uh, whereas 15 people were killed by, by, the, by the ISIS attack. The other thing is that, for example, the government in Iran has lied so much and has uh, misrepresented things that even when it talks the truth, nobody believes it. So, for example, when ISIS attacked uh, in southern city of Shiraz, and the, and the government said that this was done by ISIS, everybody said that they are lying because of the past lies that they have said. Until ISIS actually posted the picture of the guy who had committed the terror attack and also uh, broadcast a tape of the uh, so-called ceremony in which uh, the, the terrorists had uh, pledged his uh, allegiance to, to ISIS. Even after that, places like um, the Saudi Arabia television uh, in, in, in London, uh, which is called Iran International, and uh, you know websites like Elon Wire, uh, which is partly uh, funded by the State Department, kept uh, saying that uh, this is done by the Iranian government. And of course, this is uh, of the Iranian government doing because, as I said, uh, they have lied so much and they have uh, misrepresented facts so much that it is hard to believe, uh, even when they tell the truth. So that's another part of it. Then the U.S. itself has been involved, as I document in the article that you mentioned. They have been active in uh, in two fronts. One is through uh, Central Command, uh, which is responsible, as you know, for all U.S. forces in, in the Middle East. And their propaganda um, has been aimed at Iran uh, through uh, websites uh, and other outlets that they have set up. And the Washington Post had actually had an article about how the Pentagon is reviewing those operations. And there was this very not good article in the website Cradle in which it documented uh, the type of propaganda uh, that uh, the Pentagon and Central Command was carrying in the Middle East and particularly in Iran. Give me just a minute here. At the Libertarian Institute, we publish books, real good ones. So far, we've got Will Griggs' No Quarter, Sheldon Richmond's Coming to Palestine and What Social Animals Owe to Each Other and four of mine, Fool's Aaron, Enough Already, The Great Ron Paul, and my brand new one, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And I'm happy to announce that we've just published our managing editor Keith Knight's first one, The Voluntarist Handbook, an excellent collection of essays by the world's greatest libertarian thinkers and writers, including me. Check them all out at libertarianinstitute.org books. And for a limited time, signed copies of Enough Already and Hotter Than the Sun are available at scotthorton.org books. Hey guys, I had some wasps in my house. So I shot them to death with my trusty Bug Assault 3.0 model with the improved salt reservoir and bar safety. I don't have a deal with them, but the show does earn a kickback every time you get a Bug Assault or anything else you buy from Amazon.com. 
by way of the link in the right-hand margin on the front page at scotthorton.org. So keep that in mind. And don't worry about the mess. Your wife will clean it up. Uh, at the same time, the Biden administration uh, has been propping up people uh, in the United States, uh, trying to promote them as the future uh, Iranian leaders. Uh, and there have been several of them. And this has, of course, a long history going back to um, uh, early 2000 when the neocons uh, were supporting Ahmad Chalabi uh, in order to uh, justify uh, their illegal invasion of Iraq. And um, since at least 2006, neocons and far rights in, in the United States has been trying to find uh, sort of a leader for, for Iran among uh, expatriates and exiled people. And this began uh, in 2006 when Richard Pear of uh, American Enterprise Institute uh, helped this guy, uh, Amir Abbas Fakhrovar, uh, to bring uh, him uh, to the United States. He was supposedly a political prisoner, uh, which in fact he wasn't, although he kept uh, repeating and claiming that. He was brought here in the United States in order to present him as sort of a future uh, Iranian leader that uh, they know comes like. And after him, there have been many, many other, other people that have come and gone. And in fact, back in 2007, I published an article and, and warned about this. I said, these, are, these guys are looking for uh, another Ahmad Chalabi, except that they are looking for the Iranian version of it. And of course, Reza Pahlavi, the last son of the Shah of Iran, is another candidate that Israeli uh, lobby uh, in particular um, supports him. And he constantly talks to uh, Israeli lobby, for example, Washington Institute for Near East Policy or the Hudson Institute and, and places like that. But the Biden administration has also been promoting uh, another Iranian inside. Her name is uh, Masih Alinejad, and uh, she was a journalist living in Iran, and at that time she was a reformist journalist. She wasn't a political activist, and in fact, uh, she uh, left Iran on, on, on her own. Uh, she, she was never jailed, she was never uh, arrested for anything, and she was just a reformist journalist. And then uh, in 2010, she came to the United States, and the first few years that she was here, um, she was still acting like a, a reformist journalist, uh, supporting reformists within Iran, and even complaining that, that uh, why the Iranian exile uh, in the United States uh, are so are so active against Iran's national interests. Then she had a meeting with General David Petraeus, uh, former commander of, of Central uh, Command and U.S. forces in Iraq. And after that, uh, I don't know what happened in that meeting, uh, let me just say, but after that, uh, she was hired by uh, Voice of America. She was given a program on Voice of America that she still produces. Uh, uh, she was given, uh, she has been given hundreds of thousands of dollars since then. And doors start uh, opening for her. Uh, she has been given awards by a couple of Israel lobby, uh, including Washington Institute for Near East Policy, that just gave her the uh, the Scholar Assessment uh, Award. Uh, she she received the Oxy Award and for courage, uh, whereas when she was in Iran, she never. Um, participated in any struggle against the Iranian government. She was just, a, uh, as I said, a, a journalist. Uh, then Biden administration started also promoting another uh, exiled Iranian, uh, Nazarin uh, Bonyadi. Nazarin Bonyadi is a Hollywood actress and has no uh, 
history of uh, activism, um, except here and there, you know, saying things here or there. Uh, she has supported U.S. sanctions against Iran, as as has uh, Masi Alinejad. They both support sanctions. In fact, Masi Alinejad, in, uh, in, in several cases, has said that uh, sanctions are not enough. So if sanctions are not enough, then Can what you is imagine? I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's just insane. And I'm so sick of people from around the world coming to this country and demanding that America wage war on their home country. What the hell is this? Go fight your own damn battles. I totally agree. I mean, what they want is uh, they want to use U.S. forces to attack their homeland. And so not only it will spill the blood of American young, young American soldiers, uh, in this country, but also destroy their home country, and this is very really the most dis- despicable thing that uh, that that they do. Uh, and Masia Alinejad, on several occasions, has said that uh, sanctions are not enough. And uh, and Reza Pahlavi, the last uh, the son of the last Shah of Iran, has said uh, sanctions are not enough. We know what happened in Afghanistan. We know what happened in Iraq. They were liberated. Of course, Afghanistan wasn't liberated. It was just in a state of war for 20 years. And then now it's again under the control of the reaction in Taliban. And Iraq is still uh, you know, struggling with the uh, aftermath of invasion of, of, of 20 years ago. But these people have advocated this. Uh, and the Iranian people have basically been trapped between uh, you know, Iraq and hard, uh, hard place. On one hand, the uh, hardliners in Iran uh, uh, resist any sort of reform, resist any uh, any sort of uh, uh, liberation or or, uh, or opening up the uh, political space uh, and allowing dissident uh, voice to be heard, uh, allowing uh, political parties uh, to freely operate, allowing a, a free press, and so on. Coupled with the deep uh, corruptions that they have had, coupled with the repression that they have, and mismanagement of the national resources, that's another problem that Iran has been struggling with. Because Iran has been hit with a long-running, severe drought. Uh, Iran has always been a country uh, where uh, water uh, has been scarce. And now, because of the drought and also mismanagement of water resources, we uh, we have sort of uh, water war within Iran, between various regions of Iran. So all of that uh, has put Iran, a country of 87 million people with highly educated people and a lot of will in a very bad condition. On the other hand, on outside forces, we have a small section of the opposition uh, outside because in my opinion and my experience, the vast majority of Iranians who live outside Iran want uh, a peaceful transition from the present regime to a democratic state. Mm-hmm. But these people do not have uh, you know, the, the, the means to uh, so that their voice can be heard. Instead, what we have is that all the resources have been given to that small fraction of opposition who wants um, to topple the regime at any cost. Of yeah. course, anybody uh, with a reasonable mind wants the, uh, the theocratic state to go away and be replaced by a democratic regime. But the question is, at what cost and how we are going to achieve it? Yeah, and in whose interest are we going to see this regime change? Because if it's just, you know, America overthrowing the government there again, as they've done twice before, including, sort of, the installation of the Ayatollah, 
they at least cooperated with that in the revolution of 79. You know, if, if that's the way it goes, and definitely the Iranian people are going to be no better off. If it comes from within Absolutely. and it's really up to them, then at least they'll have a fighting chance at independence and freedom. Absolutely. And, and we have to remember that Iran is made of various uh, ethnic groups. We have the Kurds, we have Turks, we have the Arabs, and we have the Baluchis, and, and we have the Persian people. These people have always lived together in harmony for thousands of years. Iran has existed. But now there are small separatist groups. They don't even represent the majority of their own people. For example, I've had many uh, Kurdish students that have worked with me, and they all have told me that Kurdish people don't want to separate from Iran. They want to be part of Iran because Kurdish people in Iran actually consider themselves the, the, the purest form of Iranian people. They consider with pride, they, they say that they are Iranian. But there are these small separatist groups that are supported by outside forces, like these Pejak that you mentioned, or the PAK forces that I mentioned in the article. PAK forces, uh, which is basically a, a Kurdish acronym, uh, acronym for uh, Free Party of Kurdistan, is a Kurdish group that was uh, armed and trained by the United States during the war with uh, ISIS in Iraq. They, they were um, given weapons and trainings and bases to fight ISIS. Now that the war with ISIS in Iraq has basically is over, they have turned their guns that they received from the United States towards Iran and attacked Iran from the Iraqi side of the border. Uh, so that's 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 one group. The other group, Pejak, that uh, have existed for years. Uh, there is a Democratic uh, Party of Kurdistan uh, whose leader Mustafa Ejri has asked Israel for, for, for help. He has uh, demanded many times that Iran's uh, province of Kurdistan be declared a no-fly zone so that his forces can attack at will and carry out their operations. There are other Kurdish groups. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, there is also this uh, jihadi terrorist group in the province of Sistan and Baluchistan in southeastern Iran on the border with Pakistan and Afghanistan. Um, that at least uh, spiritually they, are, they, they get their guy from Saudi Arabia and its Salafi Hanafi uh, ideology. And in fact, many years ago, I published uh, an extensive article in previous uh, Frontline Terror Bureau website where I documented all the help that the predecessor of this group that at that time was called Jundala, and you mentioned at the beginning of the program, that they were receiving uh, support from Israel and the United States. And uh, there were documents about it. NBC reported on it. Many other outlets reported them. So these groups have been operating on the eastern or western border of Iran, and they are, they are all supported one day or another by outside forces. And that has created problems for the Iranian people because the Iranian people want to replace the regime with a democratic state. But all these factors have come into play and uh, has played a very negative role. I'm all for, um, you know, supporting Iranians uh, within Iran with uh, demonstrations here, with writing petitions, talking to, you know, human rights organizations to keep uh, watching Iran to see what's happening in Iran. Uh, I'm all for that. But what I'm not for is, uh, uh, you know, having these uh, groups that want to uh, uh, disintegrate Iran, uh, want to wage war, uh, want, want to use violence in order to achieve their goal. But if we continue the, the way they want, if we walk along the path that they want, what will happen is that Iran will become another Syria. For years, people like me in our writings warned that 
you know, we should be careful because the West would like you know, nothing more than make uh, converting Iran to another Syria. And the same opposition, the fake opposition, that they are called fake because they have always supported uh, economic sanctions and even threatening war and uh, separatists and so on. They always said that no, Iran is, cannot be another Syria. Iran will never be another Syria. Whereas if you actually compare Iran with Syria, you will see that Iran is far more right to be converted to another Syria because of the fact that it has several ethnic groups, and there are a small, as I said, a small groups within these ethnic groups that are supported by outside forces, and they want nothing more than a, a military confrontation with the government forces in Iran. And therefore, Iran is actually in, in a very precarious situation right now, because these people uh, attack from Iraq's side of the border, as I said, in Sistan and Baluchistan and elsewhere. And violence has also been used within Iran by the security forces. And I can assure you that MEK supporters in Iran are also trying to provoke people uh, to use uh, violence against uh, against the government mm -hmm. because the goal of MEK as uh, its leader, Maryam Rajavi, was coded, uh, saying that uh, the only way we can, uh, we can win in Iran right now is if several thousands of people are killed by the security forces. So what they want to do is to incite more violence uh, so that people would be more angry, uh, people would be angry and try to take up arms to fight the, uh, the government forces. And that would lead us to uh, a sort of a civil war within Iran and convert Iran to another Syria. And this is basically what all the patriotic Iranians, whether they live in Iran or outside Iran, are worried about. Yeah. Uh, and um, the U.S. is not playing a, a positive role here. Saudi Arabia and Israel, of course, are Iran's enemy, and they are doing their best to intervene in this and advance their agenda. Several Saudi uh, officials or Saudi link uh, people have said that they like uh, to see nothing but uh, an Iran, uh, which is disintegrated into several small countries uh, that would be weak and that would be fighting with each other all the time over resources and so on. So they would like to convert or transform Iran to that type of state, or at the very least, weaken Iran to the, to the point that it cannot defend itself. So this is a very complicated, very sad and very troubling situation. Yeah. All right. I'm so sorry that we're all out of time. Everybody, you got to go look at this great piece by Mohammed Sahimi. It was the Spotlight Friday on Antiwar.com. The Murder of Masa Amini. Iranians' quest for a democratic state and the role of outside forces. Thank you so much again for your time, Mohammed. Thank you, Scott, for having me in your great program. All right, you guys. And that's it for Anti-War Radio for this morning. Thanks very much for listening. Find the full interview archive, 5,800 of them now, going back to 2003 at scotthorton.org. Follow me on Twitter at Scott Horton Show. And I'm here every Sunday morning from 9 to 9.30 on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. See you next week.